Well, I'm really thankful to be uh, leading us in this meditation again today, brothers and sisters. Today I want to consider together the centerpiece of God's eternal plan. We're gathered here in this particular meeting under a joint resolution of united prayer, right? Prayer. And for the revival of religion and the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. And I remember from the beginning, we've been praying for revival. And we've been asking the Lord to rekindle united prayer meetings in churches everywhere. And that third component of the resolution, the advancement of God's kingdom, that happens through the growth of the church, doesn't it? And I know that in this group, we are not shy about praying for the prosperity of the church. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to draw from it some encouragement for us about how and why we ought to pray for the church. What Paul has to write here all centers around something that he calls the mystery. And the mystery is, is scattered throughout everything he's written in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And because it's so important, I just want to say a word about it. In English, we use the word mystery to mean something that's really murky. Maybe it's beyond our understanding. But in the gospel sense, mystery doesn't mean that. It, it means something different. You can think of the mystery as some, a truth that once was hidden, but now it's revealed. Now it's made known. And in chapter 3, verse 6, Paul just sums up what the mystery is in one single sentence. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, the mystery is the creation of the church being a new and a reconciled humanity made up of Jew and Gentile. That's his emphasis. It's Jew and Gentile in union with each other as a result of both of them being in mutual union with Christ. So the thing itself, the truth itself here, the mystery, it's not unknowable, it's not beyond understanding, but it's still, it's understood by a multitude of saints all around the world, and yet the fact remains hidden from so many eyes. Not because it's kept a secret, but because of spiritual blindness, and the Holy Spirit must open eyes to see this. Okay, with that in mind, let's read the next few verses, what Paul says in uh, chap chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God 
who created all things. By God's gifting, through the working of his power, Paul was given this mission, the mission of preaching this message. And since it concerned the Gentiles, the mystery, it's no surprise then that it was first directed towards them. But notice how he describes his commission to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. His emphasis is not on is not on the idols and the addictions and the sinful lifestyles that people have to give up in order to become a Christian. His emphasis is on the riches that are to be gained in Christ if people join the mystery, if people repent and come into the church. And that's why he is concerned to bring to light. That term means to enlighten to open the eyes, to enlighten people about the mystery that is the creation of the church in a reconciled humanity. Is this how you share Christ? An invitation to partake in the riches? An invitation to become part of the mystery that is the church? Now, why does Paul take this emphasis? Why is it so important for him to make the mystery of the church known? He answers this question in verse 10 with a so that. The beginning of verse 10. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay. I want to... Uh, slow down and spend the rest of our time here and think about that idea that the wisdom of God is going to be made known. But every word around wisdom here is important. Three questions. How is God's wisdom made known? How? Years ago, I had this uh, amazing, unforgettable experience of visiting the Louvre Museum in Paris. And uh, if you've ever been there, you'll know that there's hall upon hall and floor upon floor of all these treasures from 10,000 years of human history. But really, everyone's there to see one piece of art. And it sits in the Salle des Etats, right in the middle of a huge black wall there's a crowd always gathered any time of the day to look at this famous smile of Mona Lisa. This is the world's most famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. And you know how it's displayed? It's kept inside a protective glass case with a controlled atmosphere. It's got a, a wooden barrier between it and the crowd that gathers around it. It sits in solitary splendor on a big empty wall in the middle of a huge room. It is the centerpiece. It is the thing, the workmanship, the masterpiece that displays the artistry of Da Vinci. Now, what is the centerpiece, the masterpiece 
that displays the wisdom of God. Look down at the text, verse 10. So that through what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. And I wonder, does this surprise you how Paul's written this? It, it blew my mind when I first saw this in this light. I mean, that, maybe that's not how you would have written this verse if you were Paul. I might have said, so that through God's historic providence, or so that through the cross of Christ and his triumph over the grave, God's manifold wisdom might now be made known. But that's not what he writes. He says, through the church. Really? Like through this tired, haggard bride that we all love to complain about all the time, that always seems like we're not what we ought to be. We're always the underdog. Really? Through that church? But look look at... Uh, Look at verse 21. Paul um, prays towards the end of this chapter, and look how he ends the prayer. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. He holds the church and Christ Jesus up side by side. How is he able to do this? Because in chapter 1, verse 22, God gave all things, God put all things under the feet of Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is Christ's fullness. Yes, it is Christ. The church in union with Christ is inseparable from Christ and, and must share in his glory. And that's why through the church, God is going to put his wisdom on display. Okay, so second question. What is God's wisdom like? Well, it says in verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God. Like a rainbow or like a multifaceted diamond reveals the manifold components of white light. In the same way, the church breaks out the manifold wisdom of God so that we see it in all its splendid components. You know, today's desire for multi-ethnic diversity, to me, it betrays an innate longing after God's wisdom. And this gospel of the mystery that Paul has, it is equity, diversity, and inclusivity at its best. Isn't it? Whosoever will may come, said the Lord. That's equity. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the Lamb on the throne. That is diversity. And in Christ is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. In other words, every human socioeconomic barrier, ethnicity, and sex is nullified in Christ. That's inclusivity. So the ultimate answer to this equity, diversity, and inclusivity that people seek is a many-colored church 
that is mirroring the manifold wisdom of God. One of, one of the sisters on this call, I remember maybe a week ago or so, prayed so beautifully about this very aspect. She said, this desire, it's not for us in the church, it's not rooted in self-centered, aggressive pride. It's rooted in Christ-centered humility. The manifold wisdom of God. Third and final question, who is learning about the manifold wisdom of God? It's being put on display to whom? The end of verse 10 might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Wow. Angel beings. Angel beings are learning through their observation of us, the church. They are learning about God's manifold wisdom and eternal purpose. And through the church, he's seeing, they are seeing things that they otherwise would not see. Does that blow your mind? John Stott says, History is like a theater, and the world is like a stage, and the actors playing out the story are the members of the church. And the plot line is the mystery unfolding in creation and the growth of this reconciled humanity. Who is the audience sitting out there in the theater seats? The audience are heavenly authorities and angels. The coming into existence of the church is a public demonstration of God's wisdom. So what about you? What about me? Are we playing our part on this stage? I think that this past year, this pandemic in particular, has left more than a few Christians extremely jaded and extremely dejected, perhaps feeling completely justified in just turning around and walking away from the church. Many Christians, once hot for the gospel, are now obsessed, obsessed with conspiracy and anti-government sentiment. This drive that while they would not deny the gospel ever, They've lost view of the riches of Christ, of the beauty of the mystery. And to neglect the church is to treat as peripheral what God says here in Ephesians is central. It's the centerpiece. What reason could ever be sufficient for you to abandon the church? Can you think of anything that would be worthwhile for you to make you to turn your back on the fullness of Christ? Church is central to history. Church is central to the gospel. Church is central to Christian living. So pray, 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 pray for her advancement. And then with both hands, lay hold of your role in God's eternal plan. Brothers and sisters, now is the time. Look at, look at verse 10, how he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Not tomorrow, not eventually, not way out there in eternity when we get to heaven. No, now is our time. This is our hour. 
brothers and sisters, now we pray. We take up our part in the unfurling of God's eternal purpose. This is why we seek revival. This is why we need a revival of the prayer meeting. Because the church that is praying is a church that is in touch with the Holy Spirit who may be revived. And a church that is revived is a church that is advancing the kingdom of the mystery of God. Let's pray together right now. Oh God, your word is just too much. It's too high to attain to. How you could have possibly invited me to take part in the unfolding of this eternal purpose is beyond my understanding. And yet here we are, just the handful of us gathered to pray and the others in our churches, wherever we are from. Oh, and we come to seek the advancement of your kingdom through the growth of your church. We need not be ashamed to pray this. We need not be reserved. We need not pull punches because this is your central passion. This is your obsession. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, prosper your church this day, we pray. Put your own wisdom on manifold display for all to see. Praise God. Amen.